I'd like to welcome each one of you, especially perhaps someone sitting out in our family who might be back for the very first time as a married couple. Not sure who that is, but I just wanted to say especially a warm welcome to them. You know, I'm so glad that you're here. I think every week we have an opportunity to, to move toward God or away from God. Circumstances often dictate for each one of us which way we go. I look forward to coming together on Sunday mornings to be able to recalibrate, to be able to be able to, well, hear from God and praise God with God's people. So I'm glad you joined us this morning. You know, questions continue to swirl. Schools, jobs, the virus, vaccines, and even church. Seems like expectations and reports change daily. So where does the church stand? And how do we as believers navigate through these cultural waters? Well, I think that's why we've been an axe. It is the perfect time to be an axe because it's the biblical history of the church. You see, over 2,000 years ago, the church was birthed when their culture was in turmoil, when you would describe the scenario as chaotic. The government was polluted. Disease was common. The economy was unstable. Yet, in the midst of their instability, God was moving. His kingdom was going forward. The Holy Spirit was sent. And the Spirit began to indwell people who came to Jesus by faith. And the church was empowered to make a difference and to move forward in a very difficult time. You see, God's answer back then was the church, and actually, his plan remains the same. Uh, think about it. His plan is the church. His plan is each one of those who are part of the church to remain faithful to him, to walk with him, to listen to the Spirit, and to be able to go out in all arenas of life to be salt and light. Sometimes we wonder about that plan. Sometimes we look at ourselves, and, and we just question, Father, I, I mean, you're putting all your eggs in this basket? Are you serious? I'm not that faithful, or even when I am faithful, even when I proclaim the good news, even when the gospel does go out, oftentimes I cower. I hardly take advantage of some of the situations you give me, God, and I know you forgive me, but, but this seems a little bit difficult. Isn't there a better plan? There isn't. God's plan is us. So the study of Acts is critical today. 
It's inspiring and it's convicting. In Acts, we have found that the Apostle Paul was sent to proclaim the gospel and to plant churches. The church sent Paul on three missionary trips. And I know that slide behind me is hard to see, but more than anything, it's, it's just trying to show unbelievably crazy this apostle was. And you can see the different colored lines, and you can see where he went throughout all the empire at that moment. And most of the time, by boat or by walking, just encouraging and planting churches, telling people wherever he went about the good news that transformed his life. Before his last trip, if you're with us last week, he was on his way to Jerusalem. He had been warned not to go to Jerusalem. There would only be pain and sorrow and agony, and, and things probably wouldn't go well for him. But he was told by the Holy Spirit that he was to go to Jerusalem. So we find out in our text today that he meanders into the town. And he was warmly received by the leaders of the Jerusalem church. That was the church that started it all. That was the church where the Holy Spirit first came. That was the church where 120 believers started the church. But then it happened. <laughs> I bet you're excited. I'm excited. Let's pray first. Father, we are confused at times about your ways. We, we are. In some ways, Lord, for you to give us the privilege to be your heralds so that others might know good news and respond to your gift of salvation. That seems kind of crazy. We're busy at times, and we're meek, and, and sometimes our mouths get dry, and sometimes we don't have the right words, and Lord, why would you do that? But we see you have, and through the first 21 chapters, we've seen you use ordinary people who've been empowered by the Spirit to be able to proclaim good news and encourage others to follow you with all their hearts. We saw not only Jerusalem transformed in Judea and Samaria, but we saw all of the known world hearing your gospel. Lord, the task is still the same. We still have the same assignment. We're on the same mission. Father, open our eyes Inspire us today, Father. We ask you to do that. We also ask you, Father, that you would work mightily in other churches in our area and in our country and all over the world as people gather together in order to hear from you. Praise your name. Learn from you. We think, Father, some churches in our local area, Living Hope and Life Spring and Orchard. And, Father, we pray even now for our conference, Converge. 
We pray, dear God, that, that you would continue to strengthen those leaders. Their passion, Lord, is to plant churches and to share good news all over the world. We thank you that we're part of a conference who has your heart. We ask you now, Father, for your guidance, your strength as we open up your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, Paul arrives in Jerusalem. Been told over and over and over again he shouldn't go there because there would be suffering, there would be pain. But Paul already knew all the way through his life that he needed to listen to God. He also understood Jesus' words. He said, wherever you go, there will be pain and there will be suffering. So we recognize that. This wasn't something new. But open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 21. And we're going to start reading at verse 17. You can follow along with the screen, or on the screen up behind me. But what I would like to, again, encourage you, and I know the font's a little, little small, but as I go through this text, I want you to keep looking back at your Bible or keep looking at the screen, if you would. Let's read Acts chapter 21, starting in verse 17. When we arrived, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem welcomed us warmly. The next day, Paul went with us to meet with James, and all the elders of the Jerusalem church were present. After greeting them, Paul gave a detailed account of the things God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his ministry. After hearing this, they praised God. You know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews have also believed, and they all follow the law of Moses very seriously. But the Jewish believers here in Jerusalem have been told that you were teaching all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn their backs on the laws of Moses. They've heard that you teach them not to circumcise their children or follow other Jewish customs. What should we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. Here's what we want you to do. We have four men here who have completed their vow. Go with them to the temple and join them in the purification ceremony, paying for them to have their heads ritually shaved. Then everyone will know that the rumors are all false and that you yourself observe the Jewish laws. As for the Gentile believers, they should do what we already told them in a letter. They should abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. This text may seem a little bit odd, especially if you're just joining us. But really what Paul is trying to share with us and it's just the importance of listening to God. Paul ends up going to Jerusalem and the church there, the first church, warmly receives him. They were really glad to see him for a couple reasons. First of all, the church was being persecuted and there was a great famine in the land. 
we've shared with you over the past few weeks that one of Paul's assignments was collecting offerings from the Gentile churches, the churches that he had planted, because he wanted to bring some aid to the Jerusalem church who was hurting, who, was, who were discouraged. And so not much is actually sent about the collection at this time, but we are no, we are we are sure that this is one of the things that at least Paul did at this moment. Paul also told encouraging stories about God and his work among the Gentiles. The church at that moment began to praise God for his ministry. A public thank fest, songs and prayers. Isn't it amazing, though, that it wasn't about Paul? Oh, Paul, we're so glad you're the missionary. We're so glad that you did this. We're so glad that you sacrificed. It wasn't at all about that. It was about God. God, you're working. God, you're working up in Asia. God, you're working over in Europe. God, everywhere you go, in the gospel that is going out, it's transforming lives. It's starting churches. Your kingdom is advancing. You know, I think sometimes when we hear good things about other churches or good things about other ministries, that sometimes there's a little bit of jealousy. But there wasn't any jealousy here, and especially unique because it was Gentile believers. As you know, the Jews and the Gentiles often didn't come together. They weren't that positive toward each other. But here it was. Paul was planting these churches. The churches were responding. The gospel was going out. And God was doing some amazing things. And in detail, Paul would go and share stories of God's grace and his transformation. Wow. Paul told God's stories, and people gave God glory. Don't you love to hear stories? Whether it be from individuals or from ministries, how God seems to work miraculously, or how God is faithful, and how lives are changed. We often hear that transformation when we have a baptismal service. And we have one coming up on September 12th where we have people who are in the tank and basically just sharing with all of us, hey, I was dead, and now I'm alive. I was dead, and I received Jesus as my Savior, and he gave me life, abundant, and I can look forward to eternal. And there's some specifics in there, and it's kind of exciting. If you're part of a CPC group, oftentimes, at least in mine, we're talking about what is God doing in your life this last week? How is God moving? Where is God convicting you? And how have you responded? And it gives excitement all the way through that group. Sometimes you're working with others and you're mentoring. Sometimes you're just having a cup of coffee with someone. And you share with them, hey, God's doing this. Or God convict me of this. I listen to God and he's responding. Oh, <laughs> this is kind of exciting. 
one of the things your pastor does is meet with other converged pastors about oh, once every couple months. We have a great lunch, and then we just sit and talk about what's God doing? How's God working? And it's encouraging to be able to hear from other pastors and other churches, hey, God is advancing. The, the gospel's making a difference. Sometimes, oh, if we're honest, these stories make us a little envious. We go, well, I've been faithful, and I've been sharing, and it doesn't seem like God is working like he's working over there. In fact, I'm not even sure why I led anyone to a saving faith. And I faithfully shared his word and his way with others as I go. Seemed like it was a pretty exciting time. And there was great joy, and there was great praise, and there was great power. But almost in the exact same sentence, if you look at verse 20, after hearing this, they praise God. And in a moment, right after that period, and then they said, You know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews have also believed? And they all follow the law of Moses very seriously. Almost like, well, you know, things are happening right here in our ministry, Paul. This is kind of cool. And I'm sure Paul was excited about that. But here's the but. Verse 21. But the Jewish believers here in Jerusalem have been told that you are teaching that all Jews who live among the Gentiles turn their backs on the law of Moses. They've heard that you teach them not to circum circumcise their children or follow other Jewish customs. What should we do? Well, they answered their own question. Well, well Paul, this is what we'd like you to do. There are four guys who are in the middle of a Nazarene vow. And, and again, we're not going to go into a lot of detail there, but it's a, a Jewish commitment for a little bit to be able to hear from God and do some special ministry for God. Well, there are some guys that were doing that, and near the end of that ceremony, there was a purification rite. And so really, what the leaders of the church says, hey, Paul, we know you just got here. But we've got to take care of some of the damage. People all over here feel that you are not supporting the Jerusalem church. They feel that you're giving some kind of a new doctrine and new teaching. And, and really, we know that's not true. But rumors are rumors. They're powerful. They're harmful to the church and to Paul. The accusation spread like wildfire. Paul, you are an enemy of the law and of the Jew. Now, realistically, this story is a little bit hard for Westerners to understand. Most of us, when we hear about a problem, or whether it be in the church or in your company or in your family, what you want to do is fix the problem. It's been over 25 years that this church was birthed. They had understood God's word. They have been bathed in the scriptures. They had great leaders. And in some ways, you probably put up your hands and say, hey, these guys should know better. 
blasphemeth the truth. Don't they know that Jesus died on the cross and that was a once forever sacrifice? What's with all the other sacrifices? What's their deal? <laughs> well, this sounds like a perfect solution. But it wasn't. Paul was explaining that tens of thousands of Jews had come to faith. They were still enthusiastic about keeping the law of Moses. But it had a different meaning now for them. In fact, it seems that the believing Jews, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, had a renewed joy for the law. Not as a means of salvation, but as a means of demonstrating their love for God and others within their unique Jewish cultural context. So the celebration of their festivals and the circumcision of their infants focused on God's faithfulness. Jewish believers felt these traditions were now authentic acts of worship and devotion. Not a way to please God, and certainly not something to force on Gentile believers. So Paul listened to the church leaders and clearly understood their dilemma. Out of humility and the desire for unity, Paul agreed to the elders' proposal. Now, it doesn't mention right here that uh, Paul actually agreed with the leadership. It, it didn't mention whether you thought the leadership's decision was right. But I know one thing is Paul did not want to use his freedom to be a stumbling block. Paul did not flaunt his rights. If you've been around here, you've heard me talk at different times about 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 Corinthians 10 and Romans 14, which is actually some odd texts. But Paul was consistent in this area. Let me just kind of go over just a little bit what it says in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 10, and Romans 14. And maybe you could read that later on. But what Paul says is, hey, the church had been born. But it was born in a culture of idolatry. And in this culture, what happened was that each of the churches struggled with newer believers coming to faith. They kind of mixed up worshiping idols and worshiping the Almighty God. And one of the things that idol worship is that they would sacrifice the best of meats. And so if you wanted a great steak, you would go to the temple market. It was sometimes called the shambles. And what Paul was saying is this. For some of the older believers, they knew that sacrificing the idols didn't mean anything. They knew they could go get the best steak in town if they went to the shambles um, butcher. But there were newer believers. 
They were sitting there going like, whoa, I, I don't know if we should do this. My conscience might get hurt. I don't want to eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. And so Paul said something very unique to that early church. It says, you know what? The kingdom and the gospel isn't about eating meat. And although you may have total freedom to be able to go and eat any kind of meat wherever you want to eat it, wherever it is, I just want you to know, choose not to do it because you're going to offend some believers that don't know the difference. He said, don't be concerned with what's best for you. Aim for harmony. Don't tear, a, or don't tear the kingdom down because of a stake. Now remember, Paul's strategy all the way through was not about me. It was about the kingdom. It's so refreshing and also so convicting. Up on the screen, you'll see 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 19. And, and I'm going to read that. 1 Even though Paul says, I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I lived under that law, even though I'm not subject to that law. I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I don't ignore the law of God. I, I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses. And I want them or to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share its blessing. Was this a compromise of the gospel? I don't think so. Paul's actions are in keeping with his missionary policy of becoming all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. In the book of Acts, we have already seen that Paul remained true to his Jewish heritage with his own relationship with the Jews. He had Timothy previously circumcised, not as a matter of salvation or not as a matter of trying to please God, but he did that for unity and mission as he was ministering to those Jewish folks. So Paul listened to the leadership, joined in a purification rite. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here again, but but this was a rite that often a Jew would undergo um, to be able to cleanse themselves because they had spent some time with Gentiles. I, I know that's kind of disgusting in, in our mentality. But the Jews were very, very, very concerned about um, coming under God's judgment and not staying separate. So all Paul did, he was willing to undergo some purification rituals in order to appease Jewish consciences. Now this passage reveals the heart of a great missionary, one on mission. 
Paul was passionate about God's glory, the unity of the church, and the evangelism of all people. He wanted desperately everybody, no matter where they were from, no matter what culture they were growing up in, to hear the good news because he wanted folks to understand that they're dead without Jesus. But if they come to faith, they're alive and can live abundantly now and eternal eventually. Paul experienced that and wanted that for everyone. He literally was willing to do anything for the gospel as long as it didn't compromise it. Paul offers a powerful picture of Christian liberty in this passage, showing us some extreme maturity. So Paul chose to give up his liberty just like Jesus. So many of you remember when he wrote while he was in prison in Philippians chapter 2, he said, hey, take the same mind as Jesus. Act like Jesus. That's who we're being conformed to be like. And we see that Jesus was extremely selfless. He focused on others and the kingdom. Basically, Paul does all this to strengthen the church. Church unity was critical for Paul. Not only did he collect all these offerings, but even as he came to Jerusalem and they heard of his reputation, he did not want them well, to be thwarted in their ministry because of Paul's reputation. So he did everything he could to dissolve that. Now, I think if we're honest again and we start asking some questions, that many of us are going to struggle with this text. It's going to mess with us. Paul saw the church as people that were really, really important, and he sacrificed his freedom for the advancement of the kingdom. He wanted the church healthy and strong. So, for the strengthening and unity of the church, first thing he did was tell God-glorifying stories. He wanted the church to understand how amazing his God was, how powerful his God was, and how the gospel was out there and changing lives everywhere. Yes, it had changed his, but he just wanted to encourage them, keep doing what you're doing. Secondly, he listened to leadership. It was a little inconvenient. It was a little bit odd. But, but the leaders there understood the culture and said, Paul, this is really going to hurt us if you don't do it. Hey, I'm in. I, I, I'm going to do exactly what you said. And then he shaved his head. Now to us, again, it's kind of cool in our culture to have a shaved head. I, I know that. But back then, this was a definite sign. People would look at this, and it was inconvenient. 
But Paul was radical for the right things. He wanted to focus on strengthening this church. And lastly, he helped financially. Now, I don't know if he personally gave, but he certainly made it a priority as he went to these different churches to collect funds and to share with them the plight of the Jerusalem church. So we arranged it and he delivered it. So, as we continue to read through this chapter, and we're not going to read every verse, I'm going to summarize some of it. You would think, because of Paul's sacrifice, that things would go well. But they didn't. They didn't. Paul actually gets unjustly arrested. Now in chapter 21, starting in verse 26 to 36, this is what happens. Paul goes into the temple. Paul is going to get his head shaved. Paul is thinking he's going to encourage the church. Some Ephesian Jews, which we know he's already caused a riot there about two weeks ago in our lessons, find out that Paul is there. They rile up everyone. They start telling more lies. And they're saying, this guy here, he brings Gentiles into the temple area. He doesn't really want to obey the law. And a riot happens. In fact, they bring Paul out of the temple. They start beating him to a pulp, which gets the Romans' attention. Right across from the temple were the barracks or the Roman fortress. Well, Rome was really good at a few things, and one of them was squelching uprisings. And so the soldiers came over immediately. They basically put Paul in chains. They arrested him. They wanted to know what was going on. But I think if you're Paul, you're going, now, wait a minute. Just a few minutes ago, I came here. Everyone was excited. I told great stories of God's grace. God was moving in amazing ways. I even listened to you as leaders. I'm going the pathway that I think is correctly. And now all of a sudden, another riot. I'm in chains, and I've been beat up. Also, he's remembering that's exactly what the Holy Spirit told him what would happen. Now, what's unique, and you may not understand this completely, but this is a major transition in Paul's life. He will never experience freedom again for the rest of the book of Acts all the way till he is killed. All the way. Wow. This was different, I think, than Paul anticipated Then, if you look at the rest of this chapter, starting at verse 37 and going through chapter 22 to verse 21, I'd like to summarize that also. So Paul's in chains. The Romans have him. The scriptures tell us he's walking up the stairs of the fortress. The commander has him. He's trying to figure out what's going on. And Paul stops him and says, Sir, sir, uh, is it okay if I talk to these people? Now, now, wait a minute. Again, you just heard the story. He was beat to a pulp. He was causing a riot. They intended to literally kill him. 
The city was in an uproar. He's walking up to the commander and he says, hey guy, can I talk with these guys? God did a work in that commander. But I think God did a work in Paul. I mean, put yourself in that position. It's not been a good day so far. If I'm chained and walking up, I'm going like, okay, I don't know what's happening, but I don't want any more of this. This does not seem fun to me. But what overruled his pain and his chains was the gospel. And I honestly think he thought, this might be the last time I get to talk to my Jewish brothers and sisters. So Paul is standing on the fortress stairs. The commander's giving him permission. The scripture says he motions to the people with his hand. They quiet down. There's a great hush over an unruly crowd, which again had to be a miracle. And Paul spoke to them in Aramaic. <laughs> Big deal. <laughs> Paul could speak Aramaic. Paul could speak Hebrew. And Paul could speak Greek. He spoke Greek to the commander, and he spoke Aramaic, which was the commoner's language to the Jews at that moment. He figured out, how am I going to share the gospel best? He was a sharp cookie. He was. But although he was battered and bruised and in chains, the apostle did not think of his own safety and comfort. Instead, his passionate desire to see his countrymen saved drove him to seize the opportunity to recount his story to the crowd. He shares his story again. All the way through the scriptures, you're going to see it over and over and over again. Every opportunity Paul had, he would say this. I was a Jew of the Jews. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was on my way to the top. And I met Jesus. <laughs> it changed everything. I was dead. And I met Jesus. And I learned that he paid the debt for my sin. I learned that he desired deeply to have a relationship with me. I responded. My life changed. And then he gave me the greatest mission in the world. Go tell others. Go tell others. Let everybody know the good news that you can be reconciled with God, that you can have abundant life, that you can live with God forever. This message transformed crowds 2,000 years ago and still transforms crowds. These people, they were all Jewish. They understood Paul's story. And Paul, in spite of all the inconvenience, said, I got to tell it. I got to tell it. I got to tell it. You know, the truth is, if, if you look at your life and your circumstances and you've come to Jesus by faith, your story and my story is exactly the same. Yeah, we're not on a staircase and we're not beat up and, and we may not even think that this is a wise or a good thing to do. 
but Paul's passion for the gospel. This might be my last chance. I may never get to talk to these Jewish folks again. This is where I grew up. This is my neighborhood. Do, do you guys understand? I was just like you. But I met Jesus. And do you realize that changed everything? It changed my life and it changed my future. Some of you remember in Mark chapter 5. Jesus was with his disciples. He pulled a boat up on a shore. And a crazy demoniac came running out from the tombs, naked and bloody, screaming, gross. If there ever was a miserable person, it was this person. He met Jesus. His life was totally transformed. He even wanted to join Jesus and the disciples. And Jesus said, no, no, what I want you to do, go back to the ten towns you're from. They all know that you were miserable. They all know that you were naked. They all know that you're all full of scabs. But you're going to go back there and you're going to share with them, I met Jesus. He changed my life. I got to tell you, the demoniac didn't know much more than that. <laughs> He didn't go to seminary. He didn't even grow up in the church. And what did he do? He went back to the towns. Says, you guys knew me a little while ago. I was a screamer. <laughs> I was a naked guy. <laughs> no, nobody walked by the tombs. They were scared of me. Look at, look who I am. I've been changed because Jesus changed me. That's what he did. Why was Paul so passionate? Because Paul was changed. He looked different. He had clothes on. But he was changed. And so he couldn't stop telling good news because it was good news. Let me say this. Is that God's mission is unfinished. We woke up this morning. God gave you and me breath, which is a giant billboard that says, I'm not done. Do you know I'm not done? I gave you breath today. I gave you wager breath. I have a mission for you. There's a world that's dying. There's a world that doesn't know about me. We're left here to share good news, to make disciples and encourage others on the journey. So what I want to say is this. Tell your story. Well, it's not that cool. It's not like Paul. I didn't get, you know, the, the, the ray of uh, sun or, or the bright light that blinded me. Oh, oh, you did. You did. I don't know how young you were when you came to faith, if you did. I, I don't know how old you were. But the story is exactly the same. I didn't have life, and now I have life. I didn't have purpose, and now I have purpose. 
I didn't have a relationship with God. I was alienated. I was an enemy. And now I am a friend of the Creator. I go to Him every single day. He's my shepherd. He guides me, directs me. And it doesn't even matter about circumstances. I know He is with me. Whoa! Is that good news to a land and to a culture that is dying right now? You know, I was in high school. I'm not sure what you think of Campus Crusade. It's called Crew now, and I'm not even sure what you think of the little tool they have called for spiritual laws. But I learned how to share my faith when I was a freshman in high school. And I didn't always use the four spiritual laws. But there's so many other tools out there that sometimes I don't really know how to speak well, Rick. But there's the four spiritual laws. There's Navigators, the Bridge. There's the Roman Road. There's Billy Graham's Peace with God. There's John 3, 16, which I'm sure every one of you know. How cool to be able to share with people. You know people you don't know. I bet God, he loves you and wants to give you life. There's plenty that are going to refuse. I get it. I do. So what's our mission? Tell your story. Secondly, strengthen the church. Paul absolutely became selfless in order that the church would thrive. Put aside their needs. You know, we've got so many things starting up in the fall. So many needs, so many opportunities. It's not a recruiting time right now. It's just a fact. We have opportunities to strengthen this church as we give of our time and we give of our treasures and we give of our talents you'll never regret that may God encourage each one of you today Paul he loved the church he did and he loved the gospel may all of us grow in our love in both of these areas. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Paul's example. Thank you for your word. God, we don't understand everything. We don't understand your ways. In fact, some of us don't even know why you've allowed us to live during this time in our world. But God, you have. So God, open our eyes to the opportunities you've given us. Would we be bold with the gospel that has changed our lives? And would we encourage those around us? Would we work to strengthen and to unify this church, this lighthouse in this neighborhood? We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.